there was four of us and two beds. And uh, I remember walking in the room and I'm looking and I'm looking at the four of us and I'm looking at the beds and I'm looking at the room situation and I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be interesting. And uh, immediately Pastor Kevin said, you know, Horvath, you're with me. We're going to have to do it this way. And I okay. And I remember us going and him preaching the, the, the fire of God down. And I remember going back to the room and I remember, uh, you know, uh, uh, laying on about this much of the mattress. <laughs> and I remember, I remember thinking to myself, if I could have this much a pinky's worth of what is on this man's life. If I could just have this much, that was uh, 15 years ago. And just from the overflow, just from sitting in the room from the overflow, uh, there's, there's just, you, some, he said it before, some things are taught and some things are caught, okay? When you're in the overflow, when you just reside, man, the oil, you just, you just catch it. And it's, it's just they're, they're the, the overflow that's on their lives because they are the real deal. Uh, they, they are the real deal. You know, Crystal and I were talking about it the other day, the cost of the oil. You know, you know that song, no one knows the cost of the oil that's in my alabaster box, you know? They, you don't know the oil, but they pay the price for it. They pay the price for it, and Crystal and I are, are products of the price that they've paid just from sitting in the overflow. So I just, I honor you. I know you can't watch. We're not on live stream tonight. We're under construction and they're out of the building. But when they get back, you can tell them I honored them, okay? Uh, and that we honor them. Uh, so I want you to go ahead and turn with me to your, in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Now, I, I'm telling you, I have a word. God's been dealing with me on this for over a, a month and a half. Uh, I could not escape this word. It's been in me. It's been tur turning and churning. And, uh, and you, when you know you, you can't get, you can't turn anywhere else in your Bible, uh, you know that God's trying to speak to you. And I just kept going back and just kept going back and just kept going, going back. And I will tell you this because live stream's not working tonight. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not on the worldwide web on the interwebs, then it's, it's for somebody in the room. There's somebody that's here tonight that needs to hear this word, and I believe that there's going to be somebody that's going to hear it, catch it, and be set free because of it, okay? So uh, I want you to go ahead, turn with me, Judges chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11. I know I, how many love to read the word, so I'm going to read the word tonight, uh, and, and, and we're, we're going to see where, we're, where, where the Lord takes us. Uh, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it. Say hide it. Look at your neighbor and say hide it. From the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and I feel the Lord in here, and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where, all, we are, where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, 
and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from his midi or Gideon saying this to the angel of the Lord. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And I, he said, I will wait until you come back. Look at your neighbor say, he's going to wait until you come back. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would anoint my lips with a coal from your altar. I know you have positioned me in this place for this assignment. Father, and I pray, God, that you would use me to do what you want done in this place. I pray, God, that I would be a conduit of your presence and your glory, Lord. I pray that the bonds would be set free, the captives would be set free. I pray, Lord, that the fire, the purging fire of the Holy Ghost go before me. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone in the building said amen. amen. You may be seated. So we enter this scene with Gideon hiding in a wine press. Hiding in a wine press. Hiding in a wine press. Look at your neighbor say, hiding in a wine press. We see him hiding in a wine press while threshing wheat. And most people wouldn't think that that's a peculiar picture, but it it is. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. So he's sitting here hiding and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And we need to see the context of this. Why would you hide in a wine press and thresh wheat? What is the purpose for threshing wheat in a wine press? And who is so bad that you've got to hide in a wine press to thresh wheat? And in order to understand that, we have to turn to uh, Judges chapter 6 and start in verse 1. But it, it, it is that the children of Israel have done evil in the sight of the Lord. They've done evil in the sight of the Lord by worshiping other gods and other idols, false idols. Okay? Gods of other nations. And you say, well, I'm excluded from that. I don't worship other idols. Well, the first commandment says that you should never put any God before him, right? Before doesn't mean above. It means in front of, okay? And so if you yourself make your priorities more than he is, you've just created an idol, okay? And you've begun to worship something that doesn't mean, need to be worshipped. So before you exclude yourself from the equation, you have to take a real long look at the man in the mirror and the life that you live and say, is there anything that's standing before the Lord? Okay, so in this particular situation, they have made uh, something or things idols uh, before the Lord. And because of this, the Lord had delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Take note of that number. Look at your neighbor and say seven years because we're going to come back to it. They are uh, serving a seven year sentence for their disobedience. And let me tell you something. If you ever have to serve a sentence of the Lord, your time is done in a prison that is someone else's hand. That's your prison. It is when God's hand is removed from your life and he places you in the hand of another. That's your prison sentence. Because we understand and recognize that as long as you are uh, worshiping Yahweh and you are doing the will of the Father, it says that uh, he, I now, the psalm says, I know, now I know 
that the Lord saves his anointed by his strong hand. And as long as you're operating and functioning by the way of the will of the Father, then his hand is covering you and you're not into the hand of another. But as soon as you step outside of that and you make priorities outside of God, now you are now in a, serving a sentence in the hand of another. So we see the children of Israel in the hand of another serving a seven-year sentence. Let's look at your neighbor and say, seven-year sentence. And they're in the hand of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and it says the people from the east, that they've come against the children of Israel, causing the people to hide in caves, dens, and strongholds. Hiding, 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 hiding. They're hiding in caves, dens, and strongholds. Now, there's something about this hiding and hidden thing, because I've been preaching on it for a while. It's been something that's in my spirit for a while. But here you have people who, who are conquerors. They're conquerors. They, were, they, they came out of Egypt, took the wealth of Egypt with them, and, and here they are hiding in caves. They should be ruling the land of promise, and here they are hiding in caves. It's not the place for the people of God. That's not where you belong. You don't belong hiding in caves. You don't belong hiding in strongholds. You belong ruling and reigning in authority with God. Somebody say amen. So you have to ask yourself, who are these Midianites and Amalekites? And theologians and rabbinical history tells us that the Amalekites are a formidable tribe of nomads. That they went around, uh, it actually the Bible calls or describes them as the first among nations is the word that, or the, 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 what's used there. And that doesn't mean that they're the first nation. It actually, uh, a better translation of what ba uh, uh, um, Balaam was trying to say is that they were the first to come against Israel in warfare after their exodus from Egypt. They were the first jokers that said, oh, okay, give me what you got. They tried, to get, they tried to hustle Israel as they come out of, of e Egypt. And they, they were the first people that they came into contact with that tried to start a, pick a fight. Okay? They tried to pick a fight. And God's got your back as long as you're doing what he's called you to do. He's, he, he's got your back. It's not a fight. They picked the fight with God's people. But as soon as you step away from the hand of the Lord, now his covering is gone. And now the fight that you were fighting that he had won in the past, now you're subject to losing. So we see the Amalekites, they come from Amalek, who is the grandson of Esau, and we see, we know that they're called plunderers, actually. The Bible says, uh, or the Egyptians refer to them as the Sitiu, and the Armana tablets refer to them as the Kabata, which actually translates to uh, plunderers. So we know that they, they, they don't want to work. They don't want to do what they, they, they want to take from others. They want to take from the favor of others. Somebody say amen. Man, these sleeves are killing me. Um, so we see this out of them and they see, we see that they're plunderers and that they're plundering the people of Israel. And then we see the Midianites who were actually a descendant of Abraham. We see that they were descendants of Abraham, and they came through the womb of Keturah, which was the wife uh, after Sarah had passed that, that Abraham had had. Okay, and and he birth or through him was birthed Midian, and from the, the from Midian came the Midianites, and they were uh, enemies of Israel. Okay, this is I like history. History well, text without context, y'all. You got to have context, right? And so uh, we see this, uh, and and. The Lord actually calls them vile people because they, le they led the people of Israel constantly away from the worship of Yahweh. 
And I think that it's very interesting, uh, actually, because you see Ishmael, Isaac, and Midian. Ishmael, Isaac, and Midian. Ishmael, Isaac, and Midian. Look at your neighbor and say, Ishmael, Isaac, and Midian. All three came from the same seed. All three came from the same place. When I was studying for this, this is a side caveat, a side note, but as I was studying for this, I really felt like the Lord gave me a word, and it's for somebody in the room. But you have, you have Ishmael, Isaac, and Midian. All three came from the same place. You had Ishmael, who was born of Hagar, and, and it was... she. You know, he tried to circumvent the prophet promise and do it on his own. He put a God before the Lord Yahweh, okay? And he tried to do this on his own and in his own strength, and he birthed Ishmael. And Ishmael, we know, uh, if you look at the lineage and descendants of Ishmael, even unto today, they, they are still enemies of the Jewish people and of, of God. And then you have Isaac, and through Isaac came the lineage of Christ. Through Isaac came the promise. Through Isaac came our Savior. Through Isaac came uh, a deliverer, okay? And then you have Midian, another son who was born and brought forth uh, an enemy. An enemy of God's people. And the Lord said, you better be careful who's carrying you. The only difference was the incubator. The only difference was who was carrying the seed. So you better be careful who's carrying you. And you better be careful of whose words you're listening to that's carrying you. Because all three came from the same place. And who's carrying you will determine whether you're going to be an enemy of God's plan. Or you're going to fulfill God's purpose and plan. So we have these tribes, the, Am the Amalekites and the Midianites, and uh, these people of the east, and they made an alliance to attack and ravish God's favored people. Look at somebody say, I'm favored. I'm favored. It's okay to talk back. It, I'm favored. Okay? You see, these, these tribes didn't even like each other. They didn't even like each other. They, they, they actually disdained one another. But you see what happens when you're favored People who don't even like each other will get together just to hate you. They'll get together just to hate on you. Okay, when you're favorite and you don't believe me, stick around for a while. You don't believe me, just stay around for a while. Pay your tithes, start sowing seed, and watch the windows of favor open up over your life. Watch you get that job that you've been praying for. Watch you pull up in that car that you couldn't afford. And all of a sudden, the people that was on this side of the sanctuary that used to malign, the people that were on this side of the sanctuary, and the people on this side of the sanctuary that used to malign, the people on this side of the sanctuary start moving together and migrating. And the next thing you know, they're sitting together, and you've just become their topic of conversation and it just doesn't it doesn't stop in the church okay it's it, it, i'm talking about the cubicles at work all right let let the favor of god hit your life and you got the promotion at work oh come on somebody 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 you get the promotion at work or all of a sudden you get the house that you've been praying in and you've been sewing for and all of a sudden the person in this cubicle starts wheeling next to the person in this cubicle and before you know it they're bffs and they're taking lunch break and guess what you're the topic of their conversation because people can't stand favor people favor ain't fair look at your neighbor say favor ain't fair y'all so these people get together and they start hating on one another or, or they start, they join together to, to hate on, on the people of Israel. They, they join together to hate on the people of God. And, and so they, they join forces and they completely ravish the people of God. It actually says that they were like locusts, that they come in and stole everything that they stole uh, their, their bread, that they stole their, their animals, they stole their, their oxen, their goats, they stole their, their, their bulls, they stole their, their bread, their harvest, they stole it all and left the land ravished and left them hiding out in caves. 
Lord, you're going to have to help me on time, Jesus. So that takes me back to the wine press, back to the place of hiding, bringing clarity and understanding to why Gideon was hiding, threshing wheat. Now, though we may now understand why he was in a wine press threshing wheat, it still doesn't make it normal. It doesn't normalize the peculiar picture, right? Because in order for you to understand why it's not normal, you have to understand the contrast between a wine press and a threshing floor. Because there's a difference. A wine press is not like what you think of today's wine press or like a press, like an applesauce press or, or like making apple juice. It's not like a, I always look like Mr. Rogers took us to a, a apple juice factory when I was a kid. And I remember a big wooden vat and they had this crank and it crushed the apples and the apple juice come out. No, this is not like that. This Old Testament wine press is a hole in the ground, okay? It's a hole in the ground, uh, and, and they dug it, and they would put grapes in it, and they would crush the grapes, and then there would be wine, and there would be like a little trough that the wine had come through. And then you have to understand what a threshing floor in is. A threshing floor is a round pad or almost like a concrete pad in today's standards. It was tamped dirt hardened and it was above the ground and the reason why it was above actually it was above the ground and it was actually out on the outskirts of town away from everything where a wine press was in the middle of a vineyard it was actually in the middle of something where the, th the threshing floor was actually away from everything away from homes buildings and structures away from walls away from anything that uh that that could be a hindrance to it and the wheat uh give me, somebody give me the wheat brought some wheat. Thank God it's harvest season at, at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> so, so, so you, this is wheat for anybody who doesn't know what wheat is. This is wheat. Okay. And there are two parts to this wheat. You have the shaft, which is the hard exterior. And then you have the grain, which is inside of the shaft. Okay. And the hard exterior, uh, protects or it surrounds the grain. Uh, it, it, it hides what's inside. It hides what's beneath it, okay? And so you got this threshing floor, all right? And this is where you would normally, you would thresh wheat. I'm sorry, whoever is going, I'll get the vacuum out, I promise. But, but when, what you do to thresh wheat is you take this and you beat it. And you beat this wheat. And in beating the wheat, you have the shaft and the grain that land together, okay? But when you do this in the right place, which is a threshing floor, on the outskirts of town, there's nothing that can hinder wind from blowing. Okay? So when the wind blows, because the, sh the, the ch shaft is actually lighter than the grain. The shaft actually blows away when the wind blows. Okay? It blows away when the wind blows. And what it does is it blows away the thing that kept the grain useless. Without the wind, you're stuck with what's useless. Let me tell you this. When, without the wind, you get tired. You get tired without the wind. The Ruach of God, when the wind blows, oh, somebody, when the wind blows, it gives you the strength to continue. It gives you the strength to fight, okay? But here we have Gideon in a wine press trying to thresh wheat without wind. And you say, well, what does this have to do with me? 
Well, you, you, let me say this. You can't, get, you can't get grain for bread without threshing, and it's hard to feed people without bread. You can't get bread, you can't get grain without a threshing, and without threshing, it's really difficult to feed people because you have no bread then. And, and how many know when the Bible talks about the bread of life? It, there's a lot about bread. I mean, in fact, God's been speaking to Crystal uh, specifically about bread uh, and feeding uh, the nations and feeding people. But, but there's th that, that threshing, that's what God does to us. That's what God does to us. He threshes us. It's not a fun thing, but he does. He does it because the Bible says in Hebrews, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son. Who wants to be a son or a daughter? Well, get ready. Get ready. He scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So the word chasten actually means to rebuke, to reprimand severely, uh, especially by beating. Okay? The Lord threshes us. Because when we go through a beating or when we go through the beating, there are things within us that the enemy wants us or wanted to keep hidden that get revealed. And now we're a threat to the enemy. Remember when I said at the beginning, we were talking about hiding things? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, what are you hiding? What are you hiding? And those of you who, who are dealing with condemnation, don't leave yet, because not, you're not hiding what you think you're hiding. You see, when, when wheat is threshed in a wine press, the shaft and the grain fall to the ground together, and because there is no wind, even though there is separation, the grain and the shaft stay within close proximity. Okay, we don't mind being threshed in a wine press. We don't, we don't mind the threshing in a wine press. Okay, we don't mind to be chastised by the Lord as long as we remain close to what we came out of. We don't mind being chastened by the Lord as long as we remain in proximity to what's comfortable. Okay, so when we get threshed, we pray things. We think threshing and being chastised by the Lord, we even think it ch a little churchy. You know, like, oh, I've been through some chastising. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, Shah. Yeah, I've been through some, some, so, and we pray prayers like this. Oh, Lord, remove that secret sin from me. Oh, Lord, bring, remove, you know, remove the thing that brings conviction, Father. Let, purify me, but do it in the wine press. But do it in the wine press. As long as we're not too far from it. As long as we're not too far from it, we remain comfortable. But when God says to move everything and pick up and go, that's when things start getting uncomfortable. When God says, I'm going to send you on a mission that you think you're unqualified for, and you're going to have to go through the ch chastising of my hand in order to obtain uh, bread, in order to make bread for people to eat from. See, we don't like talking like this, but this is Bible, y'all. This, this is Bible. We want to stay in the wine press because even though we are experiencing some threshing, we aren't too far away from the thing that is hidden or that we've kept hidden. Wow. And hiding is nothing new. Hiding isn't a new thing. The enemy's been keeping people, God's people, hiding forever. Let's go back to Genesis, y'all. Genesis in the garden. Adam, Eve, hanging out. God says, don't eat the apple. Don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fig. Don't eat it. 
He says, okay, you know, if you eat from it, you will surely die. The serpent comes in and he tries to be conniving and he comes up and he, he says, if you need to eat from this apple. If you eat from this apple, you're going to be just like God. And she says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and partake of this thing. And then she says, you know, Adam, this is what the serpent said. You ought to have some of this. It's pretty good. And she goes, he goes ahead and partakes. And the next thing they know, they look up and they see their shame and they go into hiding. They start to hide. It actually says that, that uh, in Genesis uh, 3.8, uh, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam hid his, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Say, so hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. I know that's a long sentence. I want you to say this with me. Hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Verse 9 says, then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And that's not because he didn't know where Adam was. It's not because he didn't, rec like, where's Adam at? Where's he at? No, no, no. It's just he didn't, he's not where he left him. He left him in a place of authority. He left him in a place of victory. And because of what the enemy had done, uh, you know, came in and had done to them uh, by deception. Now they're away from the place that he had left them, and now they're hiding. Let's look at Elijah. Okay, Elijah. We're talking about prophet of the Lord Elijah. We're talking about Elijah, like y'all, Elijah. 63 words, fire falls down. Okay, like 450 prophets, like slays them. Like, oh, you want to go ahead and worship a false idol? Come on, come on, bring it on. We're talking about Elijah, flour and oil wouldn't run out. I'm talking about like, like the widow's son raised from the dead, Elijah, okay? Like Elijah, walk with God, like, like, like at that level. Oh, like that, I mean, we can't even comprehend or fathom that, okay? And we see him do all these great exploits. We see him, you know, tear down altars and all these things. And then all of a sudden, some Phoenician wicked princess decides to write a letter and says, by this time tomorrow, you're, I'm going to make you just like those prophets that you executed, and all of a sudden, what's he go do? He runs and hides. He goes and hides in a cave. So it's not even because of sin that the enemy will try to hide you. It's through fear, anxiety. He'll use whatever he can to throw at you to keep you hiding. David hid in caves from Saul. David, anointed king. David, anointed king, hides from Saul in a cave. As a king. A king in a cave. A king in a cave. Hiding out from, from, at the time, his enemy, Saul. The enemy will do everything that he can to keep you hiding. But let me tell you, like I said before, you are not hiding what you think you're hiding. No. No. The enemy wants you to believe that you're hiding shame. The enemy wants you to believe that you're hiding uh, uh, from him, uh, you know, all these things. He, he, he wants you to think that you're hiding. You know, how, how many in here have ever been stricken by fear? They got a bad report from the doctor. You know, he wants you to think that you're hiding because of the lump. He wants you to think that you're hiding because of the high blood pressure that's going to give you a heart attack. These are the things that the, the enemy whispers in your ear. You're going to die. You can't do the, the things I've, that God's called you to do because you're going to die. You have to stay hidden. You got to stay, stay, stay below or beneath your calling because if you don't, you're liable to be in the crosshairs and you're next. You're next. 
And so you're really, but, but, but that's what he tells you. He tries to, 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 to deceive you into believing that this is why you're hiding. Jesus, help me. The reality is, is that you're actually hiding your worship. You're actually hiding your worship. You say, well, how so? Well, I'm going to get to that. We're going there. You're hiding your worship. You're hiding your victory. You're hiding your authority. Those are the things that you're hiding. You think it's shame. You think you've done wrong, and so you're staying out of the presence of the Lord. I didn't read my Bible. I don't have, man, that relationship. I'm not going to do it again today because of that shame, that thing that creeps on you that says uh, it's that condemnation again. Uh, but let me tell you something. We look at Gideon. I'm going back to Gideon. Gideon's name is translated Jerubasheth. If you look in, uh, if you look in chapter seven, it actually you look in how many Bible, how many people's Bible says Jerubabel or Jerubal. It actually is translated Jerubasheth. Jeru translated to it actually is translated Reed, which means to grapple, to wrestle, or to conduct a case and sue. Could somebody come up and help me? Because I feel like we're going to have church here in a second. To grapple, to wrestle with, or to conduct a case against, or sue. And Bosheth means shame or disgrace. Look it up. You could go ahead and look it up yourselves. But it's, it literally means to sue the spirit of shame and disgrace. To, 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 bring on char to bring charges on. Okay? But in order to have a case, you got to have a courtroom, right? you got to have a judge. Oh, come with me, come with me, come with me. We're going into the courtroom, okay? Come with me. You gotta have a, you got, in order to have a case, you got to have a judge, and a judge sits on a bench, right? Oh, come on, come on. Well, in Exodus, he tells Moses to build a tabernacle, right? And he says, I want you to build an ark, and on top of that ark, I want you to build between two cherubim, I want you to build something, and I'm going, it's called the seat, right? It's called the mercy seat, Okay? So he tells, in Exodus, he tells Moses to go ahead and build this seat in this tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. Oh, the holiest courtroom there is in the land, right? And we know in Hebrews, he says that that's just a copy. In Hebrews, it says what he told Moses is a copy of what's already in heaven. So the presence of God resides between two holy angels called cherubim and resides and hovers above the mercy seat in heaven. And we know the Bible says that God is a righteous judge, right? Oh, somebody, somebody. So we have a judge and we have a courtroom, right? We have a judge, a bench, and a courtroom. We're missing something, though. We're missing a lawyer. We're missing a lawyer. We're missing a lawyer. You've got to have representation to have a lawsuit, right? I'm about to school y'all because I've, I've been in some situations before. In John 14, 16, in 26, 15, 26, and 16, 7, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as our advocate. And when translated from the Greek word parakleton, which means helper, advisor, and counselor. Okay? Counselor. The term advocate in a judicial sense is an individual who represents the client in a court of law to plead for release and compensation. An advocate is someone who has studied the intricacies of law and can navigate through those often complicated statutes with accuracy and pro pro provision and precision. This picture that John is painting 
is that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He's our advocate. He's our, he's our counselor. He's our lawyer. And Leviticus, Leviticus tells us that the priest would come in and slaughter a goat, a sin offering, and bring its blood behind the veil into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat seven times. He'd dip his finger in the blood and say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And there's something interesting about that word seven. That word seven it's actually got the same consonants as three other words. It actually is almost, it's spelt the same as three other words in, in Hebrew. Shiva, seven, Saba, Sabbath, and Saba, which means to be sated or translated satisfied. Satisfied. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. You say, man, where are you going? What are you talking about? I thought we were talking about Gideon. I'm getting there, y'all. I'm getting there. You say, what does this have to do with Gideon? Nothing until you know who Gideon's been talking to. Nothing until you know who Gideon's been talking to. He's been on a seven-year sentence sitting in a hole in the ground, and all of a sudden, he starts talking to somebody under a tree? Wait a minute, didn't I say something about a tree before, right? I told y'all, okay? He's sitting here, and he's talking to somebody under a tree, and when he, you find out who he's talking to, he's been talking to his lawyer. He's been talking to his counselor, his advocate. And you say, well, no, that said it was an angel. You're right. But that's called theophany. And theophany is a, uh, uh, it's an Old Testament uh, uh, revealing of Christ pre-incarnate. So it's Christ before Bethlehem that he's been talking to under the terebinth tree. And he says, I I've been stuck seven years. I've been in this sentence. And, 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 and where is this God that, 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 you know, everybody on my forefathers been telling me about? Where's this God at that, that, that delivered the people from, from Egypt? And I'm, let me tell you something. You better be careful. You better be careful what you discount and disqualify just because you ain't seen it yet. You better be careful that you disqualify miracles just because you ain't seen it happen yet. Because yet is the key word there. So we got this angel, the lawyer, okay, sitting under a tree, and Gideon's talking to the lawyer, and the lawyer knows the case. The lawyer knows what's going on. The lawyer knows what's up. The lawyer says, man, you're a mighty man of valor. You know why he knows that he's a mighty man of valor? Because he knows the charges, he knows the case, and he knows how it's going to go. I'm going to tell you a little story real quick. Gonna put some context to let's Mr. Sue shame, okay? I had to go to court before. Big surprise, right? And when I went to court, I was in a situation with a case where I thought I hired the best attorney in town. Because I mean, how many know if you want to beat the case, you gotta hire the best attorney around, right? So I thought I was going to hire the best attorney around. So I went out, hired my attorney. We, we looked at the, the, the case. We looked at the situation. He looked at the discovery of evidence. And, and, you know, he thought we had a pretty good case. They had built a pretty good case. And they thought, you know what, you're going to beat, I think you're going to beat this. This is going to be good. You know, the evidence against you isn't that strong. It's got holes in it. I think we can make this thing, you know, I was guilty, y'all. I'm just going to be really honest with you. I was guilty. I ain't even trying to hide it, okay? Uh, but thank God for grace. Thank God for, look at your neighbor and say, thank God for grace. 
But, but I was in this situation that I thought I hired the best lawyer. He looked at the case. They built a case. They saw the plot holes. And they said, I'm going to be able to get you off the charges. Until they found out the, the, the opposing side's attorney. And he's like, oh, this ain't good. And I'm like, what, man? I thought you was the best. And he goes, yeah, I, I mean, I am. You know, I'm the best. And I said, well, what's the, what's the deal? He said, well, he says, ah, that, that, that attorney, man, is, he's friends with the judge. He's friends with the judge. He, they go yachting together. That's, that's the truth. They go yachting together. And I was like, oh, snap. He goes, yeah, they go golfing together. They, they, they go to lunch together. They, man, they're, they're, the, the, the judge and that lawyer is tight. Even, I said, but I thought you guys, you said we got a good case. He says, that's until I found out that the lawyer was friends with the judge. And now we're looking at a whole different situation. And I'm like, man, I, I already done paid you. I'm like, I want my money back. He's like, it don't work that way. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So all of a sudden we go into court and that, I had the better case. I had, I had holes in it and everything. But the judge said, no, nah, we ain't going to play it like this. You're, I'm not, no, no, I, you know, I'm going to dismiss this, dismiss that. No, I don't, you know, uh, he said objection overruled, you know, and all this stuff, man. Everything I, my lawyer tried to throw, it was like, and this dude just pretty much had to sit there, look pretty in a suit, and, the, and they won the case against me. I lost the case. But it's similar to the situation with Gideon. It's similar to the situation with Gideon, right? See, Gideon's lawyer walks in the room and says to the judge, what's it going to cost to get my client off the case? What's it, what's it going to cost to get my, my client off? And the judge said, the price is blood. The price is blood. And he said, the lawyer said, okay, bet. He said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get this. So we're talking about theophany now. We're talking about pre-incarnate Christ. He steps out of heaven down Jacob's ladder, steps into a body, crawls up on a cross, dies on a cross, gets buried, and on the third day, raises again, ascends back up to the judge and says, oh, what was the cost? He said, it's blood. He said, okay, I got the blood. I got the blood you was looking for. I got the blood you was looking for. And he said, oh, wait a minute. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, you want some more? Six, seven. And he says, satisfied, satisfied, satisfied satisfied and you say well what's that number seven that's how many years that's how many years that's how many years Gideon and the people of Israel were locked up he said one drop for every year one drop for every year one drop and I'm telling you right now there's somebody in this room there is somebody I don't know if you're in going through a court case I don't know what you're in the middle of but the Lord said that what the enemy has stolen because let me just tell you he didn't just get them off the, the he didn't just get them off the charges he didn't just get, you know win the case I said advocate right it was about winning the case and compensation look at your neighbor and say compensation say it just like that compensation not just that you won the case. Not because here's what happened. He said, come up out of there. He said, come up out of the hole. He says, you're a mighty man of valor. Go in this might that you already have. You're going to win the case. You're going to beat the charges. You're going to go up in there and you're going to win this thing as one man, the Bible says. You're going to walk in here and you're going to fight this fight and you are going to win this as one man. And let me say this too. Gideon's lawyer didn't work pro bono. He didn't work pro bono. Your lawyer don't work pro bono. No, there's, there's, a, there's a fee. What did he do when he come out the hole? He said, wait right there, I gotta go get an offering. Wait right there, let me go ahead and get this goat prepared. 
And go, let me go get, he said, well, let me make, a, let me make a, 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 some unleavened bread out of an ephah of flour. Where did he get the bread from? Where did he get the flour from? Oh, wait a minute. He'd been threshing it. Wait a minute. He'd been threshing it. He was making an offering. And, and, and the Bible says that a goat is a sin offering and a grain offering is the highest form of worship offering that you could bring to the Lord. Help me, Seth. And let me tell you something right now. He was preparing that offering, not even knowing while he was hiding what he was hiding. What the enemy had him hiding was his worship. He was in a hole in the ground hiding his worship. And the, the enemy knew that if he had him in the hole in the ground, if he kept him in the hole in the ground, that he wasn't going to be dangerous to the enemy's camp. But as soon as he come out the hole in the ground and said, I'm going to bring the worship to my lawyer. I'm going to bring my worship to the lawyer who's going to bring the blood to the judge. Okay? I'm going to bring my worship out of this hole in the ground. I'm going to put it before the, the angel of the Lord. There's somebody in the room that the enemy has been keeping you in a position to hide your worship. And your victory is on the other side of your offering. The, the, your victory is on the other side of your worship. Somebody push in with me right now. There is somebody in this room. Your lawyers beat the case. Your lawyer has beat the case. Oh, let me just tell you right now. The lawyer, the judge was paid off. The judge was bought. Please stand with me. Lord God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. There's somebody in this room that says, oh, yeah, but I beat, I, I beat the case, but I lost all it, no compensation. Because I'm going to tell you, Gideon went in and they fought that battle and they won. And, and when they beat the Midianites, it means that they got all the Midianites camels, all the Midianites oxen, all the Midianites goats. Not just what was stolen, but then plus some. Retribution, seven times. It's Jubilee, y'all. It's Jubilee. Look at your neighbor and say it's Jubilee because you're getting it all back. You're getting it all back. I want to open the altars right now. I'm going to count to seven. Because satisfied, satisfied, satisfied. The, the sentence was satisfied with the blood. Right now in the name of Jesus. If you, if you've been dealing with that enemy, it breaks tonight. Your lawyer has already talked to the judge. And your payment is worship. If you need it back, if you're tired of the, the, the enemy being a thief in the night and coming and plucking up what you have been sowing for, you said the Lord said that was your harvest. I'm talking about that child that went wayward. Your worship is your payment. One. 
If you are looking at a case in the physical, a court case, I know the best lawyer in town. The best lawyer in the universe. He knows the judge too. If there have been resources that the enemy has been plucking up from you, I mean doctor's bills, every time you've been putting money away, every time you've been putting money back, to, to pay off debt or this or that, you wind up in the hospital with anxiety or a nervous breakdown every time the car breaks down. I'm talking about the resources. Three, he's giving it all back. He's got to give it back tonight. Four, if that enemy has been keeping you with condemnation, hiding in a hole, I bind that condemnation, that voice of the enemy, for the Spirit of the Lord fights that right now in the name of Jesus. Lord God, Oh, Holy Spirit, do only what you can do. Yokes are being broken tonight. Chains and fetters are being broken tonight. You better get down here and lift your hands and worship. This is your moment. This is your moment. We're not on live stream. He shut the whole thing down. So I know it's for you in the room. It's for you in the room. Six. You better put your hands up. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. I'm going to get to seven. You've been toiling. You've been working. You've been fighting. You've been fighting and you've been, you've been in the ground. With, you, you know, you've been threshing weed underground without the wind of God. You're tired. You're tired. You're tired. But that number seven, that number seven, that number seven isn't just satisfied. It's Sabbath. It's time for rest. It's time for rest. It's recompense, baby. Seven, seven, seven. Worship you, yeah. 